Afternoon, everybody. This is the Reverend Blake Ruby from San Antonio. Welcome to my show, The Church of the Souls Evolution. And today we have a guest. His name is Eric McCoy. And I read his information. He is an expert on substance abuse. He's got quite a past. What happened to him is pretty miraculous. And he's here with us. Eric, hello. How are you? Yeah. I'm great. How you doing? I'm okay. Thank you. Yeah. Did you like my Thanks little for having me on. there? I mean, the music, the musical part. Yeah. Of the show. Did you hear that? <laughs> my show began about. Thank you. In 2017, and Doug, who was talking to us before the show started, actually found that little snippet of music, and I love it so much because it reminds me of kind of like. A, You've heard the movie, The Call of the Wild. Well, this is like The Call of the Soul, I think, you know, in my opinion. It's got a part yeah. to it that kind of resonates, and I really love it. And kind of dance to it at the beginning there. But anyway, yeah. so tell yeah, it's us got uh, that, It's got that feel-good feel to it. <laughs> What's that? So tell, talk a little bit about yourself, please. Um, expand upon what I said. I can't remember everything that that I read about yeah. you, but I think it's better if it came from you yourself. Um, what your interests uh, are, what your hobbies, besides that, please. Yeah, so I, I'm a um, I'm a certified uh, drug and alcohol addiction counselor. Um, I've worked in that field for 20, uh, 20 plus years, and um, I love it. You know, I got into the field because of drugs myself. <laughs> uh, had a had a huge uh, methamphetamine addiction for a lot of years. Um, 2000 and, uh, 2002, I got arrested four times in six months. I was looking at 15 years in prison. Um, and it's interesting with, uh, you know, you're kind of talking about faith, talking about Easter and stuff. Um, I, all, of, all of my pain, all of my suffering, you know, everything that I went through, brought me to Jesus Christ. Um, and I believe that because I was an atheist for a lot of years. And, um, and I had some interesting experiences that, uh, that sort of, you know, brought me to, brought me to Christ, brought me to faith. Um, and I'm grateful for all that stuff. You know, luckily I didn't get the 15 years. Um, I got a miracle sentence. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I put a I wrote a book called Pain, Failure, and Misery Are the Stepping Stones to Success. Um, I, I did remember that. What's that? Go ahead. I remember that now. Pain, yeah, failure, pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones for success. Yeah. Awesome. And, oh. uh, yeah, and it's, it was, you know, it's really, you know, the more pain that I had in my life, the more, uh, the more lessons, you know, obviously I learned uh, failures I look at as nothing more than I've tried this, it doesn't work, so now I'm going to go a different route. Um, and my substance abuse issue was very extensive for a lot of years. Um, nearly killed me in 2000 and 2002. Uh, I'm six foot four, I weighed 130 pounds, um, just emaciated. And uh, but the crazy thing and the coolest thing, my life is fantastic today. Uh, I'm actually a homeowner <laughs> in the state of California. Wow. Figure that one out. <laughs> wow! And uh, I'm happily happily married. Um, um, you know, I have a, an amazing wife, um, amazing job. Love what I do, and uh, and I have a couple. You know, I do uh, actually have two podcasts myself. Uh, one of them is called High Wall Clean. <laughs> so keep getting What's high, but do it clean. It's called high Thank while you. clean. Like you're getting hot, you're getting high, but you're doing it while you're clean. So high while clean. Oh, okay. High while and, clean. Uh, and that's based. Yeah, that's kind of based on the premise of you know I had um, you know working you know even looking at myself when I would get clean and stuff I, I would you know life's gonna suck life's gonna be boring I'm not gonna feel good anymore and I realized you know over the years that you know highness is not a property of drugs it's a property of people. And so, you know, when you do drugs, you're wow. just getting high on your own chemicals. So let's find ways to do it without, without, you know, drugs. And, 
And then I have another show called Walk a Mile in My Shoes, um, which is very nice. That one's a lot more a lot more controversial. <laughs> we sort of walk into shoes of people that are hard to understand. Um, and, uh, and then I do a radio show. I have a radio show called Hot Topics. It's on Johnny Rock and Roll Radio. Wow, Hot Topics. Quite, yeah. a, quite a background. Wow, I've got a thousand questions I could ask you based on what you've already just said. <laughs> well, look, let me uh, give a quick introduction for myself, if I may. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll be 69 in August. And I was born in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. My parents were English. And I've been around the world, therefore. Dad was with the British Army in World War II at Normandy and Dunkirk. Mom went to the bombing of London. I've got a sister, Eleanor, who lives in Seattle. This is not in any order. I'm just speaking this uh, as I, in the best organized way I can. And we moved around in Canada from Barrie to Barrie, Ontario to New Brunswick, which is the province above the state of Maine. And we were, we lived there a couple of years and then went over to Germany. Dad was with the Canadian army at that time. He retired as a major in 66 and then back to New Brunswick and Nashua, Texas, and then to Ottawa. And then we moved from Ottawa to Guadalajara, Mexico in 1971 on a cold January night, oh. I loaded up the 63 Pontiac and went to Guadalajara. And because my parent, my dad had retired and, and we had heard that it was a, a place where it had a, the cost of living wasn't high and the weather was really good. So I did my 11th and 12th grades there. They pulled me out halfway through my 11th grade in Ottawa, and I couldn't continue in Guadalajara in the 11th grade because the curriculum was different. And so I graduated in 1973. We moved to San Diego. And Eleanor had since moved away from home. She went off to do her own thing. She was with the Coast Guard. And then... I went to college for a couple of years, and then uh, I got a job working as a bellman at a hotel in San Diego, and for six years I did that, and my life was kind of going nowhere. Mom and dad were alcoholics, not surprisingly, you know, with PTSD that they had because of the war, and so... I kind of carried on that tradition myself. I was a substance abuser without going into all the gory details. <laughs> but alcohol, I was at the the base of it. And yeah. and it got me to where I am today. Everything has worked out kind of like with you. And here I am now. I'm clean. I haven't drank, drank anything since 1988. And... Nice. Yeah, I get, like you said, I get high on people, I get high on life. You know, I exercise today, yeah. I went to the track, and I went around it eight laps. I sprinted six laps. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for over six years now. And so I, yeah. that's what I get high on. It's pushing my yeah. body to, as fast as it can go. And just feeling <laughs> the wind in my face. You know, I don't have any hair. I shave my hair off. And I'm, I'm married, got a beautiful wife, Jackie. We're cruises. We love to cruise all the time. We've already cruised once this year. We've got four more cruises. And nice. Yeah, I I joined the Army in 1982, which is one of the best things I've done in my life, along with some other things. And I did 22 years active duty. Then I retired in 2004. I worked for the Army as a contractor. And then in 2010, I became a civilian and moved to San Antonio, bought a house. I'm a house owner, too. And here I am in the enclosed patio, which I paid for in 2014, $14,000. <laughs> it's getting old, you know, after going on 13 years, be 14, 13 this September. And... Yeah, we have a 24-acre park behind our backyard. I'm looking at it right now. All these beautiful green trees, which have since become green. Where in California do you live, by the way? 
Uh, I live in, I live in Montclair. Montclair? Yeah. And uh, I lived in the city of San, uh, San Francisco, the city of Monterey. Uh-huh. I went to the language school uh-huh. and studied Turkish for one year from 1992 to 1993. Yeah. And, yeah, I... Yeah, I, I was, I was Orange <laughs> County... Orange County for a lot of years I lived in. We used to drive up to the, back then, hold on just a minute because we've got these dogs that keep going in and out. I have to close the door. Hold on. <laughs> we used to go up to a church called the Crystal Cathedral with Robert Schuller back in the 70s. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And the mom loves him. Uh, mom and dad since passed away. They were 81 when they yeah. passed away in 1999. Dad first on the 28th of July, and then mom seven, 10 days later. Mm-hmm. So they did good in life, and I'm very grateful to God for having allowed them to stay alive as long as they did, because I know that yeah. I would have handled it a lot worse. And I was suicidal when I was in Germany, my, away from home for the first time, although I was pretty independent back then. You know, I'd lived by myself before, but I was drinking, and it was December of 1982 when I took some aspirin, a bottle of aspirin. I guess, I, like a, later on, a, a platoon mate said to me, Blake, if you really wanted to kill yourself, why don't you just jump in, in front of a train? And I had no answer for that, but it, all I did was get tremendously sick, and I got in a little bit of trouble, but they were very supportive and sent me to counseling and, and they kind of brushed underneath the carpet, if you will. And I just carried on my career and, and the army was, was so good. It's what I needed. You know, it gave me a new life. And right. after about six years, because I, I was starting to get in trouble from drinking my drinking, which I, I should have given up before, but I figured I started drinking maybe I remember I had a friend in Ottawa. I used to go to his house, and when his parents were away, we'd break open a, some beer and drink that, and a little bit of gin, and and that kind of got me hooked. And when we went to Guadalajara, you know, I got in with the wrong people. I guess you could say they were the wrong, although the wrong people, but they were my friends, and and I survived. You know, I'm alive today. Because yeah. of God's grace, if you will, and Jesus, yeah. uh, Jesus came into my heart, so to speak. I'm a born again Christian. When I did give up alcohol, and I remember watching a movie, The King of Kings, with Jeffrey Hunter, and I saw that movie. I was over at this first lieutenant's house. He was the XO at the, the company I was with in Korea, the Five One Nine Personnel Service Company, and. We watched that movie, and in the, I don't know if you've seen that movie before, have you? The King of uh, no, I don't think so. No. Well, you should watch it. It's, everyone should watch it who's a, a Christian. Yeah. And you get on, like, I, Netflix or something? Well, I think it's on YouTube, you know, if you're interested. Oh, Jeffrey Hunter, okay. shortly okay. thereafter, very young and handsome actor who had a quite a bright future, I think. He played Jesus remarkably remarkably well. And hmm. he died shortly thereafter from a fall hitting his head. And and uh, he was alive for a little while and then died. An unfortunate yeah. ending for a young man, you know. And I saw there was a couple of parts in the movie there when he met John the Baptist at the river and they looked at each other's eyes and the camera went from one of their eyes to to the other and, and the music in the background and I just broke down crying and and then also when someone one of the people at the Sermon on the Mount, which was beautifully done, asked Jesus, Could you teach us how to pray? And then he started off into the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Just the way it was done though, I broke down crying again yeah. and I, and I guess, you know, to sum it up, from that point on, I accepted, or Jesus came into my heart, so to speak, you know. And yeah. from that point on, once I gave up alcohol, my life just straightened out, and I went, I've been down a straight and narrow, and I've had my problems, yeah. you know. 
And I gave up smoking cigarettes, too. And, well, yeah. Um, I, yeah, that was, that was my, my most recent was uh, New Year's Eve was my last cigarette. I haven't smoked uh, I haven't smoked for four four months. <laughs> well, good for you. Yeah, that, that was a tough one to get get off of. Well, um, so you you're a counselor, wow, and you're a radio sh- your talk show host yourself. I yeah. I um. What, what yeah, are you, you talking about? Would, with the hot topics or the? Sorry, go ahead. Please. Yeah, it was my. Um, no, I was going to say, you know, the, you know, the the born again Christian. I I was on a show recently. I was talking about about this um, in terms of faith, you know. So people, anybody listening and stuff, that you know, I was I was, you know, I don't even know if it's a real thing, but you know, like a devout atheist for a lot of years, uh, especially during a lot of years of my drug use, because I think. It's, you know, you don't really want to believe in something that is obviously going to damn you to hell with what you're doing. So I think it was just easier not to believe. <laughs> and, uh, and I, and it's kind of the irony and sort of the joke behind it, but I did find God in, in jail, you know? Um, wow. and I had, a, I had some, I had some interesting experiences because I had, um, I'd been in and out of the 12 step program since I was 16 years old. So I went through my first rehab at 16. Um, at this point in time, I, I was 20, I was 28 when I was in, in custody this last time. And, um, and I wanted, you know, I knew about the 12 step program and, it, you know, this whole spiritual side to it, and, you know, this God or higher power, or power greater than yourself, you know, thing. And, and so that was something when I was sitting in there that, I didn't want to live that life anymore. I hated the lifestyle that I was living, um, you know, on methamphetamine. I mean, I was physically hooked to it. I couldn't even fathom not doing it. Um, you know, you're kind of in that between a rock and a hard place where I felt that if I kept doing it, I knew it was going to kill me. But I also deep down felt that if I stopped, I was going to kill me also. Um, and so I, you know, decided that, you know, and I got to figure this thing out. So I put a request in to uh, meet with a pastor when I was, when I was in there and, you know, so you kind of put these slips in and, and eventually they came back and said, you know, we don't have a pastor, but we have a priest. So that was okay. That's fine. Um, and so I went to the, and this was really, to me, this was really cool. It was really interesting, but I, I go meet with this, with this uh, priest and I tell him, I say, you know what, look, I said, I don't believe in God at all. And I said, I don't understand why, you know, I can look at all these people out here that have this blind faith in something or, you know, believe in something that you can't see, touch, taste, smell, hear, or feel. And, um, and I said, I just don't, I don't get it. You know, um, I, you know, I look at my dad, my dad's actually still alive too. He's 82, he's 82 now. <laughs> um, but I always, you know, my, my dad's got a, you know, dad's got a strong faith, you know, they go uh, Lutheran church and, and I remember just telling him, I said, you know, my dad would always say, well, you know, it's, it, you know, this is all true because the Bible says so. And, you know, that always just irritated me too. And so, you know, I thought, you know, talking to this priest and, and he, he I, you know, I was like, why can't I believe in God? And, and he said, I think you're asking the wrong question. And so I said, okay, so what's the, you know, right question. And he kind of kept going in circles and stuff. And I, and kind of started getting irritated a little. And so finally, you know, and finally he, he goes, look, check us out. Here's what I want to do. I want you just to, I'm going to have you repeat what I say. And so I said, okay. And so he, here, here's what he said. He goes, God, I don't believe in you, but if you are there, help me find you. And I was thinking like, damn, <laughs> that actually was pretty good. You know, <laughs> a pretty honest statement. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I thought that was such a, you know, such a simple idea, but something that seems so complex at the time. Um, <laughs> and so, so I did that, and I said that, and um, and this is where it was, this was the coolest part for me was that when I talk about faith and and you know, at that point in time, you start looking at all these, you know, first they're all coincidences. You're like, oh wow, that was kind of a coincidence. You know, interesting that happened. 
But the biggest thing that changed for me was my interest. I actually had, through that prayer, I all of a sudden had like this interest in understanding and learning more. And the uh, the irony, very interesting things behind this was I uh, the next weekend, which I think was like two or three days later, a pastor gets arrested. And it was just for fees and fines and stuff like that that he, he owed. And this was in Orange County. And he was there, like, on a, got arrested on Friday. Ends up in the same mod as I'm at. And so, and he ended up getting released on Monday when he, you know, finally had his court thing. But what we ended up spending the weekend, you know, talking and stuff. Um, they moved me over to a different mod where I actually became on a part of a worker's tank. And, and I actually got would put in the library to work in the library, which is great. So I ended up getting the Bible. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I started reading that, um, a pastor, assistant pastor from my dad's church started showing up and he started meeting with me like once every couple of weeks, he was bringing me books. One of the greatest books I read was, um, a case for Christ. Case for, there was Case for Christ, and then the second one was Case for Faith. It was by uh, Lee Strobel. I don't know if you'd heard of those. Uh, no. But, they're, but, it, but it's based on apologetics, which is really, you know, so apologetics, you know, being like tangible proof that what the Bible says is true. And that was, you know, to me, that was something like, okay, this is good, you know. Now, now I can, <laughs> and so I started reading, uh, reading The Case for Christ, really good book. Um, and it was written, the Lee Strobel story is kind of similar. Like he had a major drug problem. He was an atheist. Um, his wife all of a sudden goes to him and says, I'm a Christian. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she starts going to church. And he actually went on this. He was a, he was a, uh, he wrote for like the Chicago Tribune or something. And he went on a two year journey to disprove the Bible. But throughout his, attempt at disproving the Bible, he ended up becoming a strong believer um, and actually ended, wow. ended up becoming like this assistant pastor at uh, Saddleback Church in Orange County. Reminds me of Paul. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in Acts? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and but yeah, it was, it was crazy because then, you know, then the other thing that after I, um, um, you know, so all of these things were happening and and then my court thing was another thing. So I was also in a tank that there was a bunch of people that prayed, <laughs> you know, you prayed in jail. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I was talking to all these people and then I had my court hearing and I remember everybody, you know, like was there and they, we, we prayed for, you know, this like a miracle. Cause I was looking at 15 years, you know, I was in prison was sort of the, the, and the DA wanted to give me seven, what was and your crime? My attorney. Well, I had, um, so my, my first one was commercial burglary, uh, commercial burglary, possession of meth, um, and then possession of burglary tools. That was the first arrest. Um, and then, um, I posted bail. Um, and then about a month later, I got arrested for, Possession for sales, possession, uh, transportation, um, possession of stolen property, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and then posted bail on that again, and then um, got arrested by the Orange County Tat uh, Sheriff's Narcotics Task Force uh, for more drug charges. Um, Do you think, let me I, ask you a question. Do you think drugs should be legal? Yes. Because my, my perspective is that it's all about freedom. Yeah. You know, we've come a long way in this world. We're still evolving. But yeah. what people do behind their own closed doors is their own business. As long as they don't go out and drive around under the influence of alcohol or drugs. I yeah. mean, and I've seen... Yeah, no, I... Know, when I lived in... I, 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 yeah, I was going to say real quick, you know, I, you know, we've got this, we've got this, uh, you know, pandemic, you know, maybe, you know, last year or, you know, it was the year before or whatever, you know, a hundred and... 115,000 overdoses, you know, we're having, you know, here in the United States, you've got like literally, um, but do you uh, think um, you know, that it being illegal, it might be causing that you think if it was legal yes. that it wouldn't be so many, um, it wouldn't be so much crime related to drugs or overdoses related to drugs. What do you think? 
Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, when you look at the so fentanyl is, is, you know, really what's happening right now is, you know, we're getting a lot of drugs that are coming up from Mexico and the cartels, you know, the, the, it, and it really is, it's crazy because you look at the, if you com, kind of combine the, <laughs> the workings of, you know, our federal government and then the cartel, they sort of work hand in hand together because you've got the legislatures, you know, um, that are always putting more consequences and things upon drug drug offenders. When you do that, then the value goes up. So the black market, you know, and, and so things become much more valuable. When you're throwing money in the mix, people will do anything. And so, you know, what's happening with um, this fentanyl is, is they're, I mean, you're, they're finding fentanyl and methamphetamine and cocaine and, you know, and everything, and it's killing people. Um, and some of them, it's so powerful, they don't even know, they, they knew nothing. Um, you got carfentanil, which is like 10,000 times more powerful than morphine. Um, the only way, wow. the only way to resolve this, the only way to do anything is you've got to legalize it. Because if you legalize the drugs, that's going to take the money away from the cartels. So now all of a sudden people can actually get it from more legitimate sources. The, I mean, you can have the federal government then could be, you know, could oversee it just like with anything else. Um, yeah, taxes. You know, I mean, yeah, and you can have. I, I everybody always kind of looks at it and says, "Well, you know, it increased drug use." I don't believe so. You know, it might in the beginning a little bit, but you know, people people do not do do not do drugs because they're illegal. You know, I mean, people. Yeah. The the reason that people decide not to use drugs is because they don't want. To have, they want to be successful. They don't want to be have a miserable life. They, you know, like I've asked that question, you know, with people before, and it's like, if drugs were legal, you know, like if you asked me that question, if drugs were legal, would I do it? No, I wouldn't, you know, because I don't. I mean, I'm not a, you know, for me, the the reason I I stopped doing it had nothing to do with the fact that they're illegal. The reason I stopped doing it was I hated my life. I hated everything about it. I hated. You know, I mean, um, Eric, let me ask you this. Were, you, were your parents, were they substance abusers themselves? Did they drink? My parents? Did they, yeah, did they smoke? No, they, no, not at all. Nope. No, mm-hmm. that's the, and that's the thing, you know, it's like, you know, everybody always kind of thinks that, you know, that my mom, I, I don't even think my mom's ever smoked a cigarette in her, you know, <laughs> my mom is not, she, she drinks, um, uh, she, you know, she's the one like drinks tea, doesn't drink coffee. Um, I, I don't think I've, I, I've seen her drink alcohol, I think maybe twice, but it was like at my, at, uh, my brother's wedding or, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, my dad, um, very successful businessman, um, uh, did, you know, very well in life. Never, never got into, uh, he, he really wasn't a drinker either, you know? He was a smoker, though. He did smoke for a lot of years. Um, My dad yeah, was, no, a, that's you know, he was an alcoholic, and he smoked, too. And he was an entrepreneur. He tried to, after he got out of the Canadian Army, he tried all these business ventures uh, from building electric cars back in the 70s, you know, which was kind of, you know, they couldn't go against the, the big companies back then, so it eventually it didn't work out, but... Also, putting a, a riverboat in the St. John River in Canada, trying to sell two-seater hovercraft, um, going down to Honduras to look for gold in an airplane with some friends, and oh, it goes on and on what he did. But it all they all yeah. failed because ultimately he would go out and get so drunk that he'd just make a fool of himself, yeah. and then they would know that he was uh, too much of a risk to invest their money into, you know, because he would blow it. Yeah, uh, he would. He yeah. would just show he had PTSD so badly he would get drunk and then be smoking and and pass out and and in the war the war also affected him in as much as he he killed at least one German and I'm that's one thing I I have studied about you know if if you take someone's life you're going to have that person hang around you. In the after, uh, you know, they'll be in the afterlife, but they're kind of like they ghost you for the rest of your life. And Dad yeah. used to wake up swinging in the middle of the night. He would, um, he was, he was just troubled. You could tell, you know, by 
the war. You had a man die in his arms. So that stuff, it, it yeah. stays with you, you know, for the rest of your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like the one, you know, yeah, I couldn't even ever, like, I couldn't even go hunting. <laughs> I, I could look at a deer with a gun and I'd be like, no, nah, not even going to happen. <laughs> it's, uh, wow. That's just the way, you know, I, I, uh, I am. <laughs> well, that's all right. Certainly. I mean, you have a, just a wealth of information and, uh, I wrote a book. You said you, you've written um, that that book, uh, "Pain, yeah. Misery, and, yeah. and well, Tell Me Again." What, what yeah, it is, please? Stone. It's a pain, failure, and pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success. Yeah, it seems like yeah, like you have to go, get to rock bottom before you get up to the top. But I guess I'm done. I've done pretty well for myself, and I'm very grateful for the powers that be. You know, yeah. I've got a kind of different spin on things, and I'm. I don't know if you've done any research on me, you know, because I've had I've named my show different things over the years. I've written a book called The Gray Brain and the Golden Soul. I'm really into extraterrestrials and the life that's out there. I feel, you know, that um, that we're on a planet of a lower evolutionary category, and our souls are on yeah. a journey. We've come here. This is a very beautiful planet in the universe, but. It's also a very violent planet. You know, we're a very violent species. We've had so much war throughout the yeah. century. Yeah. And um, yeah. going back to about drugs, I think, you know, we are souls more than anything. It just or Remember that song by the police in the 70s, We Are Spirits in the Material World? Yeah. Our, we, what we, one of the things that I think we come here to do is to achieve freedom for ourselves, Free, freedom uh, from tyranny, fr- freedom from oppression, freedom to do yeah. what we want to do, to uh, to exercise our free will, you know? And when yeah. man, yeah. our fellow man, imposes all these things upon us, you know, like the police, for example, a lot of the police that they hire are hired specifically to to go out and catch the drug offenders, you know, so their yeah. jobs, that's their job. And, and that has been going on for quite a while. Not that they care, you know, I mean, we live in a society where well, I'll, look, you can go out and I'll tell you, it, you know, I'll tell you, it's the, the, you know, drug offenders, you know, you look at the DEA or you look at, you know, yeah, city police or, or, you know, the, there's a constant violation of our rights you know, the Bill of Rights, you know, because, uh, you know, freedom from unreasonable search and seizures, that gets violated all the time when it comes to drugs. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, freedom of speech. I mean, they have the thing set up now where it's like if you ever tell anybody, you know, how to make methamphetamine, you know, that's you, you, get, you can get arrested for that. Um, I mean, it's not like I would sit and tell people how to do it, but I mean, <laughs> you know, freedom of speech, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they gave, they gave the exceptions, obviously, with the uh, freedom of religion because, you know, with Native Americans and peyote and things like that. Um, but technically, our laws should not be separated. Like, you can do it, but you can't do it, and that kind of thing. So, but that's kind of the way, you know, our, you know, our government sort of works. But, yeah, drug so, offenses, that's the, that is the one group of laws that, that do violate our rights, you know. You know, I like take heroin, for example, or methamphetamines, and compare it to like drinking a a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of vodka. You can drink alcohol, any type of alcohol, to excess where you will kill yourself. And and, uh, you can smoke tobacco until it kills you, if you want to. (laughs) But, you know, so you can... You can smoke that leaf, but you can't smoke that other leaf. And you can, yeah. you can. Alcohol yeah. is a legal drug that's been destroying families for thousands of years. That's a drug, also. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't have yeah. that. That drug. Yeah. I just say let people well, do what the they want to do. Yeah. As long as they don't. Alcohol. Alcohol kills. Alcohol kills more people every year than all illicit drugs combined. And it's even now, even with the fentanyl, it's 
stuff. I mean, it's kind of like right on the edge of being close together, but, but yeah, I mean, it's not, we don't have drug laws because of safety. (laughs) It's a, it's a control thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I would be willing to bet that if they legalize drugs, I know this to be a fact in my own mind that if they legalize drugs, all drugs, that there would be less overdoses and there would be less crimes. We could work together, yep, you know, because we're all about making money yep. in this capitalistic yep. society. And yep. we're all about freedom, you know, especially in the United States. You know, freedom yep. is, we give a lot of lip service to freedom. Yeah. I believe, you know, with freedom, it's like, you know, I, I you know, I have the freedom, you know, I should have my freedom to have my freedom as long as I'm not violating other people's freedom, you know. Right. Um, that's kind of the way I see it, you know. It's, uh, let me do my thing, you do your thing, and, you know, yeah. Um, Case in point, like uh, the water, right. for example. You know, yeah. it's legal in some states now. It didn't, didn't used to be legal. In Canada, yeah. it's legal. In other countries around the world, it's legal because we're yeah. evolving in our mind. The mindset is evolving, you know. It's beginning, they begin to realize the, the folly, you know, of... Yeah. Imposing these restrictions upon people because they are imposing their wills upon other people. It's like a communist yeah. country, yeah. China. You know, there's a lot of good things I can say about China, but one bad thing I can say is that they they oppress their people. And maybe, and I understand that because I mean, they don't have all these active shootings like we have here in the United States over there. Because why? Because that individual would be executed immediately. Right. Well, well, here, yeah. if, they, if the person doesn't kill himself, which is usually pretty typical with an active shooting, then yeah. they go through a trial process there in jail, and, you know, and the taxpayers' money spent keeping him alive for all these years. Other societies around the world, you know, for like murderers and rapists, they would feed them to crocodiles. You know, in the past, like 15,000 years ago, there was a, you've heard of Atlantis? Yeah. And also the Luria Moo in the Pacific Ocean, but... They uh, okay. they dealt with people people who were convicted of crimes in a different way and really here in the United States and mm-hmm. I don't want to say anything bad about the United States because I love it I love this country you know mm-hmm. and I I love yeah. what it stands for I love the vision of our founding fathers but we got to yeah. really make some serious changes as we go forward you know especially with our political system oh yeah <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, no. But yeah, I love the United States. I mean, I think it's the best. It still still falls in the best country in the world. You know. Um, yeah, we do have a lot. When I was a lot more freedoms yeah. than other places. You know. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I think with a lot of people, a, there's what they call a generational curse, and I had that with my parents. You know, I. Uh, I broke the curse when I gave up drinking alcohol, so to speak, you know, curse, so to speak. But that generational curse where that, it, their activity and the activity of our ancestors, you know, is kind of built into our cellular structure when we're born as babies, you know, and we grow up and we have these addictions and behaviors that are kind of acquired through heretics, you know, if you know what I mean. And yeah. And then it's up to us to determine, like you did, you found your way, you shook, mm-hmm. you kicked the habit, you know, now you're heading down the, the, the right path, so to speak, and I did too. But, you know, when are we really truly responsible for our actions of 17, 18, 21, you know, because we're shaped and molded by our parents, you know, and, and then there's that cellular yeah. thing I was talking about and... And sure. I found, you know, that when my, both my parents died in 1999, and mm-hmm. I did a lot of soul searching after that, and I would just sit there listening to this music and staring out into the distance, you know, like a deer in a headlight, kind of like, okay, I'm alone now, which isn't too bad. I'm glad things happened the way they did. I was grateful that mom died 10 days after dad did, but... All of a sudden, I realized that I was no longer under their influence, if you will, if I can use that word, influence. In a way, even though I I cried and cried and cried, I I felt free, in a way, to do my own 
will from that point on. They taught me a lot, you know, and I used to talk with them on the phone all the time. I used to go visit them in the last few years of their lives. We bonded in a way we had never bonded before, and it was great. And I really respected that, and I was grateful for that. But I just had a whole different perspective once they passed away. I hope that doesn't sound bad, you know. I don't want to make that sound bad, but I realized that I was, in a way, free, and that they had shaped me, and a lot of the behavior, I don't want to blame them, because, you know, I like to be accountable for my own actions, but there is a point when we are not truly responsible for our actions when we're younger, you know? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, because you, 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 you do what you know, you know, and so, yeah, when you watch, you know, if you have your parents and you watch them and you learn from them and, and you know, let's say they're teaching you things that are a little bit off or, or we're possibly misinterpreting things sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's typically what we do is we do what we know it, it is, you know, it is interesting too, because for me, I, I'd agree with you a hundred percent that, you know, there were certain things as I was, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I, I had a lot of depression when I was, when I was young, I was really depressed. <clears throat> we, um, we moved a lot, which I think was, um, for me, I was, you know, I always kind of say this with. I think substance abusers were, were sensitive people by nature. <laughs> That's why we, we abuse because we don't want to feel anything. But um, but I was, you know, kind of an awkward kid. Um, and we when I was born in, in Southern California, Montebello. We lived in Hacienda Heights. And then when I was like in fourth grade, we moved to Northern California. Uh, we were there for one year. Then we moved to Pennsylvania. We were there for a year and a half. Then we moved back to Northern California. Um, and then when I was, uh, yeah, they'll do it too. You know, you uh, yeah. always have a junior. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. And that's sort of what happened with me was that I kind of kept, I, I all of a sudden like had this belief that I'm not really going to let anybody get close to me because they're, they're just going to leave and, or I'm going to leave probably, but, but you know, they'll end up being out of my life. And I, I think that's really something that happened to me too, was that I didn't want to connect with people. And I didn't really um, care about myself either. I think was a big part of it. Um, I was a I was a parent's worst nightmare <laughs> when I was in high school, especially. Um, just did what I wanted, wanted no control. Got arrested four times before I even turned eighteen. Um, so I got to know juvenile hall pretty good too, <laughs> and. Uh, well, it sounds like you're a strong individual. You had strong will, you know. You had that sense of freedom where you wanted to do your own thing. I did. Yeah, and I and and that was the other kind of funny part to it was, and you know, I, at seventeen, when I was seventeen years old, um, I kind of ran away for the last time, um, and a friend of mine and I went to a Grateful Dead show in Las Vegas, <laughs> and. Uh, and then for, you know, for years, um, off and on, I kind of did that whole running around with the Grateful Dead thing, um, which was, uh, a lot of fun. It was crazy, you know, um, yeah. big, big Grateful Dead fan. And then, uh, and I joined the military briefly too. Um, when I was, tw- when I was, uh, 19, I think, um, eight, eight or 19, whatever, I, uh, I wanted to join, I joined the Navy. And so I wanted to go in, I wanted to actually go in active duty, do four years. You know, I was thinking like, uh, you know, I got nothing going on in my life. I got to do something. And that was sort of, I think where my thought thinking was. So I went to a recruiter and talked to, talked to them. Well, because of my legal stuff, and I even had a warrant pending out of Northern California, um, that I had to go take care of. I could only join the reserves. Um, and so I went, went up North and I took care of the legal thing and, and do community service and stuff. And then went back and joined. So I went to boot camp in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. And then my A school was in Port Wyneme. I joined the Seabees, uh, Port Wyneme, California. And, uh, and I did, you know, went through the, my A school there. And then, um, 
and then I got out on the reserves, you know, and they're like, okay, come back in a month sort of thing. And then the Grateful Dead showed back up in town and I left and, and didn't come back. Um, and I ended up, uh, you talk about like a bad thing that turns into sort of a good thing, but, um, so technically I was AWOL from the military. Um, and, but I ended up having a grand mal seizure one day I was sitting in a, my apartment and I had a grand mal seizure, which was lasted like 10 minutes. I mean, it was cr- crazy. Um, my friends called the paramedics, paramedics came, ended up in the hospital and they, they ran, uh, some MRIs and they found out I had what's called an arterial vesicular malformation, which is basically a lesion in my brain. Um, and, and so they wanted to do brain surgery and I was like, no, you're not touching my brain. And, and they put me on, um, uh, Dilantin. They put me on an anti-seizure med. Um, I refused to do the brain surgery <laughs> and, uh, but I, I did end up using that as an excuse. So I actually ended up getting a medical discharge out of the military, um, because and I was fortunate. Had. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and and, on, and honestly, the way that it panned out, it was because um, the the way people find out they have an aneurysm, a lot of people find out, or uh, they have an AVM, a lot of people find out by having an aneurysm. So I was lucky to actually find it out by having a seizure. Um, and then in 2000, um, I ended up having surgery. I ended up having surgery. Um, so the AVM is gone. But... Um, at first, I was not going to do it, <laughs> and, and think, that was a, that was that was the, the interesting thing about it was, um, and you know, you kind of think about like you're you know, not caring about yourself, but at the time I had the seizure, we were I was smoking a bunch of weed. Um, we we're in this apartment, and I was smoking a lot of weed, and. And so I told the doctor, I said, you know, I said, no, I said, I don't think, you know, whatever you're saying I have, I don't think you, (laughs) you know, I said, what about weed? I said, I was smoking a lot of weed. And he's like, no, 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 weed's not going to cause that. But he goes, but here's one thing. Don't ever do a stimulant like methamphetamine or cocaine. (laughs) And then, of course, that became my, you know, that was my drug of choice. Um, But luckily, I survived it all, you know. Yeah. That's why I say, like, you know, I think it's life. Survive. That's the name of the game. You know, whatever it takes. And sometimes, I don't know if you believe in predestiny. You know, predetermination. If you believe in a, a life before we were born, you know, where we chose all the different things that we would be doing in life. It's amazing, really, if if, you, if one considers the ramifications, if you will, of what that means when everything is pretty much planned out and just come to earth to, to go through the motion, you know, if, if it involves, you know, drug abuse, it involves an accident, it involves an illness. It's all pre-planned mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. yet we do have a mission that we have to fulfill, you know, that was given to us. And it's all yeah. in the interest of making the world a better place, you know, because we're all interconnected and we're yeah. going through an evolutionary process that is low down on the scale, you know, where people don't have those rights, you know, and the rights are, rights are violated. They don't have that freedom. Yeah. And we're trying yeah. to find our way, you know, we're trying to develop ourselves spiritually to evolve to a higher level, you know, before we die, and who knows when that might happen. It could be today, yeah. it could be tomorrow, it could be 10, 20 years down the road. Sure. We could live to be 100 years old. And... This, you know, what, what we're going through here. I mean, people, we don't even know if there's life out there, you know. And right. the whole world would be a different place if, if we had contact with extraterrestrials. They could share their technology with us. They would cure, help us cure diseases. They would you know, help us become star travelers. But no, we're, we're still stuck like Copernicus back then in those days when <laughs> he said, you know, hey, we're not the center of the universe and everything revolves around us you know we're revolving around our sun you know our sun revolves around the milky way galaxy and so on and same thing with columbus yeah. you know they thought the world was flat back then and now yeah. everyone doesn't know if there's life out there you know we're kind of stuck 
in this evolutionary right. gap where we need to jump to the next highest level, but we're yeah. kind of stuck, you know, in a quagmire with all this political rhetoric that's going on and the television <laughs> in our lives, which, you know, is almost like a a ghost you know, that we can't get rid yeah. of, you know, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, like, I, you're talking about, like, you know, sort of, you know, walking through your life and, you know, the things that you've kind of, the predestination kind of stuff. You know, like, I look back on my life and all of the insanity, all of the craziness and everything that I went through, I wouldn't change a single thing, you know? Amen. I would not change a thing because there's, you know, there's nothing that I've ever done that makes me who I am, but it has helped shape me, and I love who I am yeah. today. And I would mm-hmm. not be who I am today. Yeah, you know? me too. I can say the same thing too. Everything I went through. Uh, although I do regret having done some things, you know, and I won't go into the details because I think some things are better left unsaid because there are some <laughs> powers that be, if you will, that have helped us get through those difficult times and that yeah, sure. embarrassment not done certain things. But, you know, yeah. I, I try to be as honest as I can. You know, I, I, that's one of my virtues now, honestly. But mm-hmm. when it comes to other things, certain just, things you'll, you'll go to the grave with. <laughs> I plead the Fifth Amendment, you know, period. <laughs> yeah, there's certain things you're going to go to the grave with. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. I think I've been forgiven. But the main thing is, tell me if I'm right or wrong, because you're a counselor. We have to forgive ourselves. No one else is going to forgive yes. us. You can't please us. Yep. That's, that is, that's, the, that's exactly what it is, you know, is you got to forgive yourself. And, um, you know, it's interesting how, you know, so many, so many other people out there will forgive you, you know. We, we seem to hold ourselves to standards that are, you know, like, well, like some people, other people do things and we'll forgive them, you know, but the, but we'll seem to want to hold on to all this crap about, you know, towards ourselves when let's maybe hold, hold yourself to the same standards you would your best friend, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, forgiving ourselves is the key to it all. I mean, it really doesn't matter as much about what other people think about us. You know, what matters is what I think of myself. Yeah. And there's a lot of judgment going around, you know, and people forget. There's a saying, I think Jesus said it himself, judge not lest you be judged. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, that's, yeah, that judging stuff is, (laughs) it's insane, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm me, you know, and I love, I love diversity in the world. That's one of the things I really do. I love people. I love, I love the fact that we don't, we're not all the same people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah. We have that diversity. Everybody, you know, we, yes, I love diversity, you know, um, and just learning from different people, different perspectives. And it is what it is. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way I look at life is like, you know, you, you know, other people can, you know, live the way they want to live. Great. You know? Um, yeah. I when know, I was in Guadalajara, I don't know why people, I, um, mm-hmm. I ran with a pretty rowdy crowd, you know, without going into the details, but I was a, a rock and roller, you know, like a whiskey rock and roller, although I didn't really drink a lot of hard liquor, mainly beer. Right. And, um, I would wake up in the morning there in Guadalajara. My parents, I mean, they were cool. They were really cool. And as much as they gave me a lot of latitude, you know, to do what I wanted to do. I mean, I got punished at times for doing things I shouldn't have done. That was appropriate. Mm-hmm. But, right. and uh, I would, uh, my favorite song back then, I was into some rock and roll, you know, like the Beatles initially when they came out. But that kind of morphed into right. heavier rock, acid rock, like, you know, Iron Butterfly and the God of the Vita, that was my favorite song I used to play all the time. Grand Funk Railroad, The Doors, Just a yeah. Howl. And, <laughs> and I, I lived for that music, you know. I, I just lived a life of substance abuse and music, you know, in my rebellious way, which I think most young people do, because we are, as I mentioned, under our parents' influence, and we're trying to find ourselves, our own identity, trying to lose our fears, we're trying to 
find our own way, do our own right thing, you know. Yeah. Do what's right always. Yet, I mean, there's conflict there because we can see we live in a world where the right thing isn't always done. You're right. Yeah. You know? That's because everybody about, wants to I mean, be right, you know? You're about are, doing what's right. Grateful, what's that? The Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead fan. Um, what about any other oh, yeah. band, any other kind of music? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was real big into. Uh, I mean, you know, I was like Metallica, ACDC. I like that stuff. Yeah, me too. Um, and then I got then I got then I got much more in, you know into like the blues type stuff. You know, like Grateful Dead or uh, rock <clears throat> rock and roll. Um, I love the Doors. Um, yeah, Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah, Led you know, Zeppelin. Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a karaoke yeah. guy. You know, I'm. But I'm a professional you karaoke person. You know, I've got like <laughs> over a hundred songs at least that I have memorized. Yeah. I used to go to the Wounded Warriors on Fort Sam Houston beginning in October of 13 until just before the pandemic began. And I would sing for yeah. an hour and a half down there all these songs about God, God love nature and a lot of rock and roll too, you know. And yeah. I go on these cruises now with my wife and and the first thing I do is go to karaoke, and that's a great way to meet people, you know. And right, right. music, my life, I wouldn't be here today without that musical influence. You know, beginning with the Beatles, when they first came out back in 63, I remember I was living in Canada at the time, and I thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, back then. They were awesome. We were yeah. dancing in the summertime behind my friend's backyard to the songs and the radio, and... And then with the evolution of the music through the 60s and into the 70s, and I just lived a life of rock and roll and everything that went along with it, you know? Maybe not a lot of sex, but, yeah. but all that, you know? And uh, I don't regret it, like yeah. you said, uh, because that was part of what shaped me into today. But I don't think there's... And sometimes I feel guilty for having done the, some of the things that I did, but then I realized that we're changing. Everything is changing, adapting. Like with um, African-Americans, my wife's African-American, you know, how far they've come in slavery yeah. back in the yeah. 1800s and then the civil rights riots of the 60s. And, and even yeah. today, you know, there's still discrimination and racial discrimination oh, yeah. going on. Yeah, and people should know better, you know, but you go to some parts of the United States, yeah. And, you know, you feel like if you're a black person, you feel like you might get lynched, you know, in certain areas. My, yeah, we did, my, uh, my co-host and I did a couple of shows on, um, I walk around with my shoes on, um, we did on the Jim Crow laws, uh, black codes. Um, it was, uh, delved into all that stuff, you know, but yeah, you know, it's yeah. crazy. It's, uh, it's. You know, it's still it's still not where we want to be. You know, I mean, it's better, obviously. <laughs> you know, than, yeah. than certain times, but yeah, it's definitely not not ideal yet. You know. Yeah, you know, going back to what you said about being an atheist, I think I always was. Um, I had some kind of belief. I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I didn't have any facts or scientific evidence. You know that God exists or there's life out there, mm -hmm. but. Slowly but surely, over the years, I kind of put together a reality system, you know, that made sense. And I, I realized that even today, I don't like the bad knowledge Bible, you know, because I, I have a lot of faith in the Bible, and I know that it talks about our past and divine intervention in our past like no other book in the world does or has done. And the miracles of Jesus are just t totally awesome to me, you know. I, I keep studying the miracles, and, and I've got this movie that I watched, The Gospel of John. If you haven't seen that, The Gospel of John, directed by Philip Seville, I've watched it over a hundred times. I mean, Jesus it really became uh, a no very noble pursuit in my life. One minute, I think we have one minute. Okay. Uh, well, Eric, thank you. Um, anytime you want to come back to the show, yeah. we can talk some more. You've yeah, got a was, wealth now. great, man. Hey. Thank you. Yeah, I Thank really you enjoyed so much. this, man. And if I may say a prayer, how about a quick prayer, and then you say a prayer. you believe in prayer? I do. Well, go ahead and close us out with a prayer, if you would, please. we got about maybe 40 seconds left. 
Uh, all right. Uh, do, 20 seconds. Go ahead, Lord. Uh, 20 seconds. Yeah, dear, dear Lord, I want to thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity to meet together and to speak about this, the things that we speak about. And uh, I thank you for the life, and I thank you for everything that I have and everything that, that everybody else has. Um, and uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. And we'll be in touch. <laughs> thank you. I'll talk to you Absolutely. later. Bye, everybody. Absolutely.